This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 54 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Products. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse, brought to you in cooperation with the Retired Racehorse Project and New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program. The 2021 Kentucky Derby is coming up quick, May 1st to be exact, and we give you some ideas on how to host your own virtual derby party. We're kicking off part two of our mini-series with Olympic gold medalist Tad Coffin, and FEI judge and professional riding instructor Christoph Hess shares his advice for bringing the retired racehorse from the track to the dressage ring. We introduce our next RRP spotlight rider, Megan McNamara, and Leandra brings us our adoptable horse of the week. Stay tuned. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Jamie Jennings, and I'm in Norman, Oklahoma. And this is Joy Hills in Detroit, Michigan, and you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. Well, Jamie, are you excited for the Kentucky Derby? I can't believe it is on the first Saturday in May, which is the first day of May. I mean, usually you have a little buffer. I mean, it's been March, 2020 for almost a year and a half now. So it's just been intense, but we're, I'm very excited for it. And while most of us are still stuck in the great choir, uh, I would love to give you some advice on how you could host the best virtual Kentucky Derby party. I mean, because the, the Kentucky Derby party at my house every year is just on the TV all day long. Like I watch all the pre-show. It's like the Super Bowl for me at every Kentucky Derby. There's a glass of the year mm-hmm. and they have these mint julep glasses. And I have bought like years and years back. So that is what we use on the Kentucky Derby day leading up to it. I don't care if you want orange juice, milk, if you're seven years old and you want some apple juice, you're drinking out of a Kentucky Derby glass. And then the adults, they drink their own. So that is kind of how we celebrate it. What are some good ideas to actually have a virtual Derby party? Absolutely. First off, I love that. And I'm stealing some of those ideas for myself. <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> but really. for those of you who can't have people in your home for whatever reason, you know, you're keeping it safe, keeping it clean. You don't want people in your home. It's fine. That's fine. That's we true. You use the great choir as an excuse. If you don't want to have to clean dishes for everyone, because to, you don't have to clean your floors. Who wants to do that? No, like, if oh, you don't want to clean your house, you want to do this in your gym jams. Here's your opportunity to do so. So the first thing you need to do is send out your invite. So if you're hosting a virtual party, you need to know which platform to use. I personally love Zoom, but if you don't have an account, you know, where it goes longer than 40 minutes, let's be real. You're at a pregame. You're going to need more than 40 minutes to get to some drinks with your friends and then watch the race. So I would recommend either Google Meets, MS Teams, or any other of the free ones that are out there. And then make sure you do a share screen of your video so you can see the different races that are happening. You guys can comment as it goes. So that's a fun way to do it. Send out your invites with that link. And then here's your planning that you have to do for your party. Have some recipes handy. Ask everyone to bring one recipe that they're going to share. So as you guys are watching the races, come up with your favorite like cocktail appetizer that you like to have and you're going to share it. Have it ready to go because you're going to get hungry as you're drinking your mint juleps. So have that ready and share with people how you made it. It's a nice conversation starter and everyone gets to take something home in their own way. Either volunteer yourself or someone, a great opportunity if you have a great partner who knows how to shake up a drink for you, and have them either make like a Kentucky Derby cocktail or a traditional mint julep, and have them do it for your friends. Maybe put them in an embarrassing outfit. It could be fun. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) But that's another fun way. So whether you want to do your own signature cocktail and give everyone the recipe, maybe even put in your invite, like, here's what you need, and you guys can make it together. Or, you know, just have it on hand and everyone, you know, bring your own beer, how you want to do it. It's a good time. And then have some derby trivia. So in between races, as you guys are chatting, catching up, talking about who's probably going to win, have some derby trivia, the past races. It's a nice way to have a party game, keep conversation going as you're waiting for the big race. And maybe even offer some prizes if you're feeling generous. Maybe wait to make that decision before you have too many mint juleps. Just yeah. saying. Oh, whoever guesses this gets the hundred dollars. 
Exactly. Oh, no, exactly. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Although everyone will probably participate. <laughs> True. Now we're going to talk about what you should wear to your party. Dress up. Only from the top up. It's virtual. Like, I was going to say, like... I don't have to wear tight pants. I just need to like wear a hat and something like boob up, right? Exactly. So have your derby hat, guys. Wear your nice pins, whatever you want to do, but have fun with it. Maybe even have a contest for that. Who's got the best outfit there? Have fun and pick up, if you can, have a virtual background. So for my Zoom account, I actually have um, a background of Keeneland. But, you know, whatever. Have something fun that makes you feel like you're at the Derby. It's a good time. The Twin Spires, that's got to be on there for a day. Exactly. Uh, Don't have anything super inappropriate. I will recommend, like, I don't condone that behavior. But if you do it, you're all adults. And then lastly, the betting. The fun part. Everyone should place their bets. Go over the ground rules, however you want to do it. You can either do some traditional betting. Make sure everyone either has their Venmo or whatever set up. Or if you want to have an opportunity to bring some good karma into your life, maybe set it up with whoever wins and the bets you set up, the winnings go to a charity of their choice. Or you get the money. So so here's here's what we do is um, (laughs) typically when we have had people over for a party, say there's 20, you know, there's usually 20 horses that are running. And you just write down one, two, three, four through 20 and people draw out of a hat, the post position. So they don't know who they're going to get. And so if somebody, you know, draws American Pharaoh and he's the favorite, well then lucky you, everybody puts in 10 bucks. And so at the end, the winner, we always did like, uh, 60, 30, 10, you know, to give people (laughs) the money back. Of cash, but yeah, you're right. You can do it all on Venmo or PayPal now. So super easy. Everybody send me 10 bucks. I'm going to draw you a number. <laughs> and then sometimes if people want to do, you know, if you, if you have 40 people, you want to do it twice, do it twice. You know, everybody gets, gets it, has the same thing. So, uh, you can definitely figure out good ways to bet without having to like, be a like licensed bookie. Don't take exactly. my word for it. It's exactly. I didn't, say, I didn't say anything. And if you guys end up ha- hosting a virtual party, Take a screenshot and tag us with it, you know, oh, please, the Tide please, Racers please. Radio. Like, we want to see your parties. We want to see your fun outfits. And, you know, if you want to invite us, maybe we'll show up. Who knows? And yeah, you can see you had a celebrity there. <laughs> Hang on. Where is it? Who's celebrity? Who's coming? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Joy, thank you for that. That sounds super fun. And um, if you just want to have a huge party because you're like, you know, over the vid, you've been vaccinated and all that, send us pictures of that too. 100%. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Managing horses can be challenging. Each horse's personality affects the way he behaves and reacts to the world around him. Horses with certain dispositions can be at higher risk for developing health problems than others. High-strung or excitable horses are easily stressed, but so is the timid, quiet warrior. Stressed horses are more likely to develop digestive upsets that lead to colic, diarrhea, and ulcers. Nalox Advanced was specifically developed to support a digestive tract that is under stress. It sustains proper pH levels, reducing the incidence of ulcers and hindgut imbalances, while simultaneously supporting the healing of damaged tissues. Nalox Advanced supports the complete digestion of starches and sugars and sustains populations of beneficial bacteria. Make life a little easier on your sensitive horse and start him on Nalox Advanced today. To learn more about the ingredients in Nalox Advanced, visit Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. I'm pleased to welcome back to the show part two of our wellness series with Tad Coffin. Of course, Tad is the two-time gold medal winning athlete who won the 1976 Olympics on his thoroughbred ballet corps and continuing his journey to educate riders and trainers as well. He developed his own line of saddles and the innovative recovery tech, the Theratree. You can check it out at tadcoffinsaddles.com. But hello, Tad. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, my gosh. We did get a lot of feedback, and people just wanted to hear more about your take on thoroughbreds. So let's get right. First of all, 
let me be polite. How are you? How is your lovely wife? <laughs> She's very thank you. And, uh, <laughs> and everything is good in Virginia. All right. Fantastic. Did you guys get some of that Kentucky snow that they were talking about for the Land Rover? No, it's the temperature tonight's supposed to be in the low 30s. So there's been a cold wind blowing. It's been a little chilly riding, but when there's no snow predicted, not yet. Do you still ride on the daily every day or do you have people to do that for you? No, I ride three to four horses every day. It's a very important part of our program because in the pursuit of understanding saddles better, we make thousands, literally thousands of experiments. And we have a group of horses and have maintained a group of horses that are our test horses. And it's very important that everything that we do is developed from feedback we get from them. So they are our source of data. And so it's very important for me to ride them every single day so that we can judge what kind of impact any particular experiment that we're making with the saddle has. Uh, incredible. Now, what type of horses are these? Are they all thoroughbreds, all different types of horses? We have four retired racehorses and one Irish sport horse. Okay, that's awesome. That would be the so, job to get right there if you're a retired racehorse. Go live with Tabitha. One, one of the things that's interesting about it is because the thoroughbreds are so sensitive, they're very good at giving us feedback. And particularly the ones that we have have come to us with damaged backs. They're not tolerant of any kind of mistake that we make in either an experiment or any kind of execution of, of the work we do. So that's why they're particularly good at, at the job that they're doing for us. And that kind of leads us into our first question for tonight, which is, what do you think is the most important to key to success with a thoroughbred, no matter what your goals are? I think that before I get into that, I just want to want to say two things. One, again, I want to applaud the efforts of all of the second career rehoming thoroughbred enterprises around the country. I think they're doing a great job. And I also want to reiterate for riders with some ambition, professionals, that they reconsider the thoroughbred as a sport horse, because I think there are so many of these wonderful horses around, and we're not taking advantage of them as a country to the degree that we could. Remember, Three of the four individual gold medals that have been won by U U.S. riders have been on thoroughbreds. So that's a very important reminder, and I'm, yeah. I'm just going to keep plugging that because I think it's I think it's so important. And the coaches that coach those riders and horses were Europeans, so you know they were familiar with European horses, and they achieved their success with U.S. riders on thoroughbreds. So that's a very important thing. And I'm really looking forward to discussing, continuing this series and discussing a lot about riding. But I think one of the first things that we really have to remember is that success in the riding ring is engineered by way before anybody puts their foot in the stirrup. In other words, stable management, how horses are managed is the first key to having successful rides. You can't have a good working session with a horse if the backstory isn't well-developed and the management isn't there. It's really key. A little 13th century wisdom for you. For <laughs> want of a nail, a shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, a horse was lost. That's the essence of what I'm trying to convey here. We, we have to be very methodical. We have to develop strategies and protocols to allow us to get horses to the ring in the best or the most optimal attitude physically and mentally in order to have great rides. And the whole goal of management is to produce the maximum number of available rides in a year. Time spent down with horses having an injury or they've hurt themselves in the paddock and now they're on stall rest or they have to have this done to them or that done to them. That's all time away from riding. And I think we spend, as horsemen, we spend a lot more time with horses in their stalls not being ridden than being ridden. And I think we've got to think about a, a wellness strategy rather than a break it, fix it, go a little ways, break it again, fix it, that sort of strategy. Does, does, does that make sense to you? It does. It does. It takes us a little off topic, but what are some of the fundamental things you can think of that would keep us there? If we think about wellness, 
we think about the early days of a thoroughbred's life. They're out in the beautiful pastures of Kentucky or New York. And what are they eating? They're eating nothing but great grass. And they've got no shoes on. And they're not surrounded by all kinds of people with emotional baggage and stress and computers and cell phones and iWatches and all that sort of thing. And then we change their environment so drastically at a very young age that now they're no longer eating the same good natural things. We've completely changed their gut. We've completely changed their environment. And when we're recovering them from the racing experience, we have to think about it that way. The old horsemen used to take horses off the racetrack and turn them out for a year mm-hmm. and just leave them alone and let them become horses again. So what does that do? It just takes them back to what horses really need. They need to be detoxed. They need to be de-stressed. They need to eat good food. They need to be grounded. And that's really what what we have to think about in terms of preparing these horses to get back to an optimal state of working for us in a very positive way. The thoroughbred rehoming places do that to some degree, but not enough. So one of the things that that we struggle with is that not everybody who takes on a thoroughbred has the land to just turn these horses out for a year. That's a luxury that we no longer have. So the, the question then becomes, what are the things that we can do to help thoroughbreds transition to a state of wellness and do it in I would say a more urban environment, if you will. You know, so for example, here at the farm, we don't have we don't have the ability to take these thoroughbreds and turn them out for a year. But we focus on very good management protocols. So the establishment of a routine is one thing. Being very careful with what we feed them. So I think that one of the problems that we get in with thoroughbreds is that they're overfed. Our thoroughbreds get two cups of grain a day, period. Mm-hmm. There are so many thoroughbreds that are on seven, eight pounds of grain. They're, they're, that, that's not what they're best suited for eating. The best thing that we can do for their diet is to give them as much good quality hay as possible mm-hmm. and to minimize the grain, minimize the supplements, minimize all of the other things that they're really not meant to be eating. So I would say that forage is the first most important thing that we need to pay attention to. Having horses be grounded is a really important idea. So we have some links on our website, but the guru of grounding is a fellow by the name of Clint Ober, and anybody can look him up online. And it's a movement, sometimes it's called earthing, but it's a movement that's catching on with humans. But I think that we have to consider that for Horses. So think about the, the environment that horses are in naturally. You know, they, most of them bare feet and, and on the grass. What happens when we take them into our environment? They're on rubber stall mats. They're on artificial footing. They have shoes on. They're, they don't have that connection with the ground any longer. And as a result, they're in their environment that we have them in. They're absorbing all kinds of non-native light. EMF from cell phones and everything else, and they don't have a way of shedding all of that energy. And if you want to have a sense of what that does, think about think about the current situation for most humans during this pandemic. They're shut in. They're not outside. They're exposed. They're doing everything online with computers and, and surrounded by all of these EMF and non-native light. And look what's happening. People are suffering from all kinds of anxiety, all kinds of depression. It's it's a wellness disaster. And we're doing a very similar thing with horses. And when we do that to thoroughbreds, it just makes them it makes them very difficult to to have wonderful, productive rides because they're just they're too anxious they're too they're too removed from their natural environment so i think that 
grounding is, is a particularly important idea that really has not been explored with, with horses very much. But think about it this way. When people have a horse with a behavioral problem and they want to take him to a cowboy, what's a cowboy going to do? The first thing he's going to do is put the horse outside in the round pen. That's where the horse is going to get natural light and he's going to be grounded. And then what does the cowboy do? They have all their tack and they throw it on the ground. So the tack's grounded, right? Everything is grounded. So all of a sudden you have a completely different, I would say, energy phenomena going on with a, with a horse. And horses in that kind of environment can establish something called energy homeostasis, which is key to developing relaxation and I would say a, a, a much less anxious and hypersensitive horse. So all of our horses at the farm here, every single day they get grounded. We use a combination of the territory, which you mentioned last time, and a grounding girth so that that's part of their routine. And the wellness that comes from that is evidenced in many different ways. But one of the ways is their heart rate. Our horses' heart rates on a daily basis are somewhere between 24 and 28 beats per minute with respiration somewhere between 12 and 16. Those are settled horses and horses that are not anxious and not and ready to go out and do a, a very important day's work. It's interesting you say that because I am not a cowboy, but I am a Monty Roberts certified instructor. So a lot of the work that I do is out in the round pen with my saddle on the ground. And um, Tad had the nicest compliment the other day because when horses come to me, they come off the track. They've had a little time at the rescue, but then they get sent to me. And a lot of them have behaviors of which I've sent many videos to you, which pacing or stall walking or weaving or just being a uh, frantic. And I'll put the therapy on him and I can count 20 minutes. I leave the barn and I come back 20 minutes later. These horses are asleep. And one of the compliments that I had was somebody who had sent their horse for training and it came from a very frantic type environment. And he came to visit his horse a week later. And I had one of these off the track thoroughbreds. I brought him out into the cross ties and started grooming him. And, and he turned to my husband, he goes, does she sedate all the horses here? Is that what this is? And I was like, no. But the, the fact that you explain grounding, that is interesting because that's when you mentioned the cowboy, I'm no cowboy. But what, a lot of what we do here is a lot of sun, a lot of air, a lot of turnout time, and a lot of just being with nature. And the ones that do come to me that really need it get the therapy. And it has made right. a monumental difference in my program here at Flyover Farm. People who spend have spent a lot of time in the office and, and in front of computers and all the, the, the daily hectic life, say to them, where would your happy place be? And they'd say, walking on the beach in the early morning sun or in the late evening sun barefoot in the surf, right? Say that right. to anybody and, and they get a smile on their face. Yeah, it's what true. We're, <laughs> what, what we're trying to do is create that same phenomena for horses in a stable environment. So, for example, going back to the therapy is producing an electromagnetic field in the far infrared spectrum, which is equivalent to, or the best way to think about it, is that early morning or late evening sunshine. And that has a high red content as opposed to cell phones or iWatches or computers, which have a very concentrated high level of blue light. And red light is much more therapeutic. That's, you know, there's all kinds of studies that, that, that show the benefits of red light. So the therapy is producing red light. We put it on with, with copper cloth girth. And then with the horse on the cross size, we put, put the girth up to a simple grounding wire that goes either to a grounding rod outside or goes to a, a grounding plug on an outlet. And so... The way to think about it and the way that I describe it is that the therapy is producing the late evening or early morning sunshine and the grounding girth is the equivalent to shoes off walking in the surf. And the body knows what kind of energy it needs and will take on what it needs and essentially get rid of what it doesn't need. And so we create energy homeostasis. And that makes a profound difference in horses that are 
unable to be outside all of the time in the manner we described earlier. So we've had a tremendous amount of success with that. And the thing to remember as well is that all of the equipment that we use collects the same kind of non-native EMF and I would say chaotic energy that that all the, the, the horses absorb through their skin. And so grounding the equipment as well is a very important phenomenon that we've discovered. That's what I would suggest. And there's lots of really good information on grounding. Again, you can find it all over the internet, but Clint Ober is the guru of that. And the the great horseman, Monty Roberts, is is a great example of someone who's just intuitively understood this phenomena because of his background. Tad, as usual, of course, we've run out of time and we have so much more to talk to you about. We're going to have to add another segment on here, part 2B, to talk a little bit more because this is so fascinating and people are really finding it interesting. Where can people go to maybe ask you questions or find out more? They can go to the website, tadcoffinsaddles.com or theratree.com. My cell phone number's there. I always encourage people to call. I love to talk to people about issues relating to horse wellness. So I I would, would encourage anybody to visit those sites and look at a lot of the science links that we have as well. It's fascinating. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Tis the season, but it's not that season. It's not the season we want. It's fly season. Ugh, the worst. And I have a thoroughbred right now who is so fly crazy. He does not want to be touched by a bug at all. But luckily for us, Cashel Company's Crusader line has everything you and your horse need to stay fly free and comfortable this summer. Available in fly masks, fly sheets, and fly boots, all of which this horse is now wearing. He looks like a, he just, he's, he's ready. Uh, Cashel Company's Crusader line comes in an array of styles and sizes that offer an amazing alternative to chemical-based fly sprays that are expensive. And let's be honest, they don't last that long. Uh, there are days equestrians look forward to the most. And so don't let flies ruin your ride. Find Cashel Company's Crusader line today at any of their nationwide authorized dealers or visit cashelcompany.com. If you follow the world of dressage, you're going to know the name Christoph Hess. Christoph is an FEI judge in both dressage and eventing and was awarded the title of professional riding instructor by the German National Federation. He has spent almost 40 years working for the German Equestrian Federation and spent much of his life in the development of riders, horses, judges, and trainers. While Christoph is an international expert and educator of professionals, he is also a successful published author of several books, videos, and articles. He's joining us today to discuss his viewpoints on training a racehorse to do dressage and eventing as well as classical based on an article published in Practical Horsemen. Welcome to the show, Christoph. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for the invitation. I'd be happy being part of this program, which you have here in, in America and I think abroad as well. We're so glad to have you on the show, Christoph. I'm personally fangirling a little bit right now, so you'll have to excuse me. But I love reading your articles, and you have so much knowledge that you offer to us. And recently, I found an article on Practical Horsemen where you were answering some questions about bringing a racehorse from the track to the world of dressage. And you described this process as transforming the thoroughbred, which I loved. I couldn't think of a better way to describe the process. So how would you describe the right personality for a rider to bring a horse through this transformation. In my book named, he has a book called uh, Ride Better with Christoph Hess. I had uh, tried to explain in general that uh, when you train horses, you have to be a person who has a lot of patience and passion. But patience is very important, especially when you are training racehorses. Why? Racehorses are trained in the very beginning when they are very young, one and a half years, they start their career on the racing track. And normally they are trained not in the classical way as a massage horse or a show jumper eventing horse. No, they are trained to be the best, to be the fastest. And this means that the jockeys and the trainers try to stimulate the flight instinct of the horse. And this is what we don't want our horses when they, they otherwise they would run away always out of the arena. So therefore, we have to start a retraining program. And it's with humans as well. When we are in the beginning of our lives, 
have a bad um, situation, then it's mm -hmm. really difficult to come back into the normal life. And that's a little bit with horses as well. I don't say that race horses are trained in a wrong way, but they are trained in a special way. Dressage horses are in a special way, show jumper special way. But when you want to get a dressage horse, sorry, to produce a dressage horse coming from the racetrack, then you have a special challenge, difficult, and the rider has to have a lot of passion and patient, very much patient, at the well-balanced and supple position in the saddle. That's important for him. When he is unable, uh, or he has to be able to ride without his reins. If he needs the reins to find his balance, the race hard would run. But if he's able to sit properly, to ride independent from his reins or her reins, then he is the right person to do it. I think it's not possible to do it without a trainer, an instructor, a coach from the ground. But um, nevertheless, if he had these skills, which I just had described, then it will be possible. That is such a beautiful way to say that. I have never heard someone describe racehorses as being trained to engage and frankly rewarded for their flight instinct. And it makes absolute sense when you see them on the track. And it's the opposite for dressage horses or really any other pleasure riding horse. You're taking them from one world and flipping them upside down and you have all these expectations. No wonder that they take a little bit longer than other horses to bring up. You describe the OTTB as a real character test for riders and trainers. And it makes sense. It does take a lot of patience, love, and understanding to do this well and correctly. You also mentioned that in the article that OTTBs are really focused horses by nature, which makes them great at racing and competition. How can a trainer take advantage of this mindset during their retraining to get the most out of their horse? First of all, and I had studied in the old days pedagogics, and you have always to realize where a human, a young person, a man, a woman is coming from, and it's a similar situation for a horse as well. You have to realize where the horse is coming from. And it's not possible to say, okay, yesterday in the stable where the trainers trained the horses to be as fast as possible to win the, the, the Kentucky Derby, And the next day you go to uh, Stephen Peters, to Los Angeles, uh, San Diego, to become an international dressage That's mm -hmm. possible. Therefore, a person like um, uh, Stephen Peters, uh, as an example, he would say, okay, I have to start with the horse, where the horse is coming from. You have to start with shorter stirrups. You have to start with a rising trot and light seat. Uh, in Kenta or a two-point seat to give him the feeling that the horse is nearly on the racetrack. And then you come from riding more in um, large fields, more and more at the end of the day, uh, not as the very first day, but at the end of the day after a special period, Dressage Arena 2060, mm -hmm. or in a covered arena, same size, something like this. But that's the next step. And you don't know how many time or how many days and weeks and training sessions you need before you do it. You have to, and this is a skill which a rider has to have. You have to listen very carefully into the horse. You have mm -hmm. to understand, yeah, the, the horse's uh, mentality. And the more you are able to understand the special mentality of the racehorse, which was in the old days on the racetrack, and was competing in races, the more easy or more possible it will be for you as a rider or trainer to retrain the horse to this direction. But you have to do it in very small steps with a clear structure and always, and this is for me, for all riders important, but especially for the riders who train former race horses, you have to get a feeling for the horse, to think from the horse's point of view, not from your human's point of view. What's good for the horse? What loves the horse? And I have always to start with things which the horses love. And then from this point of view, I can ask at the end of the day for more challenging exercises and so on. 
That is one of the greatest answers I've ever heard from anyone on this show. I've never heard of anyone suggest to mimic a jockey stance at the beginning of training to create a sense of familiarity and comfortability for these horses, and then transitioning them into a more classical dressage seat or hunter seat or whatever route you choose to go into. No one has ever said that on the show. And I think that's brilliant advice. So seriously, Thank you for sharing that. I'm I'm probably going to start using that information myself for my horse. I think it works out well with their ability to focus in on the tasks that we ask of them and to just gradually transition them. Do you feel it's more difficult to bring a hotter, more sensitive horse into the dressage world from the track rather than a more naturally relaxed horse or calmer horse? And do these methods work regardless of the horse's personality? What are your thoughts? When I'm watching these horses, at the end of the day, I can start with each horse for a retraining. That's, mm-hmm. that's the first thing. But I think the horse is relaxed by himself or herself. The more the horse has a little bit a swinging attitude in the mm-hmm. body, is able to use the back so that the horse has in trot and walk a little bit more moment of, as we say, suspension. And the more the horse is able to come into a good concentration, these skills will help a lot. But at the end of the day, I would say each horse is uh, trainable and I'm always very happy. And this was the reason why I had written this article, that all horses should get a chance for a retraining and not just to finish and to send them uh, to the slaughter when they are Mm. not quick enough. So therefore, I'm very happy when I see the situation that horses retrained and a lot. And you said that I was an international eventing and dressage and I know so many horses, especially in the eventing world, in their first life came from from the racetrack. And they are very often very successful as eventers later on. And these riders had to do huge job with these talented horses to bring them into the new discipline in our big horse industry. Absolutely. I love that you said that. And it's been remarkable to see a lot of these horses make it even up to the Olympics when they might not have been the best racers, but they have a lot of heart and a lot of go. And I think you described too, that thoroughbreds enjoy learning. They absolutely love being students. They love taking in new information. Absolutely. How can a trainer use that as well? What tips or strategies do you have in a training program to tap into that sponge brain that they want to learn and please? Mm. I think what is very special, what they have to learn And this is, I would say, not maybe from the very first minute, but from one of the first minutes, they have to learn it. And the thoroughbreds had to be uh, ridden with a rider who is using longer stirrups. And then the horse has to learn to accept the rider's legs. And this is for me very important that a horse is learning this very early. And when you ask which exercises, which methods I am using, I am using with all horses, but especially with these thoroughbred horses, these race horses. And I had often race horses or former race horses and lots of thoroughbred horses because I'm judge and trainer and coach in one person. And uh, therefore, especially when I'm training eventing horses, I know that's for thoroughbreds in general, and especially for former racehorses, it's for them a true challenge to accept the rider's legs. And this is what they have to learn, to accept the rider's legs. And therefore, in the beginning, they have to realize when the rider is coming with a leg, uh, that they move forward without running away. That's step one. And step two is that they learn to use the rider's legs to go sideways. Okay. We call it leg yielding or later on, it's a lateral work, shoulder in, half passes, travers and renvers. But in the beginning, that's for me more important than lateral work. In the beginning, leg yielding in all variations, uh, which we have in the dressage world, this is for me very important. And my experience is that horse, which is well-trained in leg yielding, 
is a horse which is on a good way and is a huge step forward looking from the racehorse's first life. Mm. So therefore, I'm always happy when they start with leg yielding, first in walk, later on in trot, and all riders will answer, oh, now it's convenient, now I have a good feeling in the saddle because my former racehorse is accepting my leg. And the mm. more, and this is, I think, something which is important for your uh, listeners. Important is that all horses, but especially the race horses, especially the, the, the thoroughbred horses, have to accept the legs because these horses are running horses. They want to move. And many riders think, okay, a horse is running. I have to stop with my fingers or with my hands. And that's the first step into a total wrong direction. And when I did say in the beginning, racehorses, animals with a very much trained flight instinct, I'm mm -hmm. now saying we have now to train them that the flight instinct is not has not the majority mm -hmm. in the instincts of the horse. We need a horse which is now accepting more and more uh, the rider with his car, with his position in the saddle to, to ride everything independent from the reins with the position of the saddle and he is he or she and he are sitting is sitting in the saddle and is not like a jockey just sitting on top of the horse no they they have to come into the horse's movement and mm -hmm. have to ride the horse more and more in front of the driving aids as we say independent from the reins and when the horses realize that they are ridden independent from the reins then they start to relax, then they start to be more and more supple, then they start to seek a bit to come into the right contact, find the right connection. This is important. And then at the end of the day, they learn to move in a good way, looking from the biomechanic point of view under the saddle. That's for me the secret of retraining or training a former racehorse into the direction of, yeah, of, of dressage or Beautiful. eventing dressage. No? Beautiful. That, oh, I, I can see why you have many best-selling books. You're so eloquent in how you describe it. And I can visualize, I'm like thinking with my own thoroughbred, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try yeah. some of these things later today. You're very honest with the timeline it takes to retrain these horses. It's not an overnight fix. It's not a 30-day no. quick train that Americans like yeah. to boast about. Yeah. It, you say it takes about a year to see the true transformation. Yeah. What expectation, like when we think about the levels of dressage, what should the actual expectation be of these trainers after that one year if they put in the work diligently? Yeah, it depends a little bit who is doing it how consistently he or she is doing it, and yeah, what's the goal of them. Um, I think uh, after one year, if you're able to ride proper walk, trot, and canter on curved lines, big circles, on a volte, and a uh, whole arena, and being able to lengthen the steps, to lengthen the strides, to do a lot of transitions between trot and canter, when you are able to do this, then you did a huge step forward on both hands. Horse is not running away and the horse is really well relaxed. And I'm looking very carefully to the scale of training, the pyramid mm. of training. Um, the first is the rhythm, very close connected with tempo. This has to be good. Then relaxation or suppleness. And the third point is the connection or the contact. When we have these three things under our control or these three um, important steps looking from the pyramid points of view of training, then I'm happy that you are doing this. And then when you have this really under control, then you can develop special exercises on first level, second level. I think between first and second level you are that, but the movements, the special exercises are very small, only maybe of your work, uh, maybe 10%. 80 to 90% you have to do this, what I'm just explaining. And when you have this under control in a nice way, and then you will have a supple horse, a horse with a good cooperation, and then you can come quite easy from um, first, second level to third level after maybe a year more. 
this can work. But it's very difficult. And I was uh, for many years responsible for the principles of writing, which we published in Germany. And we were discussing it in the group. It was not my, I'm, I was not the only person who had written it, uh, but I was part of this uh, working group to produce these principles. And we were often thinking, do we write something, how much time we need for step one, step two, step three, and so on. And at the end of the day, we said, no, we, we don't do it. Why? Because we think each horse Each horse and rider combination has their own timing. Therefore, it's very difficult to say after one year, you have to be on this level and one year more you have on this level. This is very difficult to, to say, especially when the horses are coming from the racetrack. Some three years old, some eight years old. That's a big difference. Some have an injury or a head had an injury. Some mm -hmm. has no injuries. Some trained in a very horse-friendly way. Some are trained in a not-so-horse-friendly way. And then, very important, how is the facility, where the horse is coming, and who is the rider, and who is the trainer, how often are you training the horse? Is this a trainer with a lot of patience or is an aggressive rider? Also, a thoroughbred and an aggressive rider, no chance. You need really passion, and you have to be a true horse friend. Otherwise, it will not work. That's for me very important. But therefore, I think uh, to give a short to, uh, answer to your question, I think uh, between first and second level. Beautiful. And I think it is important that you mentioned a lot of focus on the scale of training as yes. opposed to necessarily moving through training, first yeah. level, second level, yeah. Yeah. removing that element of competition and just focusing on the foundations yeah. of the horses. Yeah. Top notch. Well, Christoph, thank you so much. I have one final question because all of our yeah. listeners are going to want to know if I were to take you down to any of the racetracks today for you to pick out a horse on our dollar, what would you look for in your next dressage companion? Who would that be? And what does their body type look like? Yeah, it's a quite interesting question. Either I saw uh, in the internet and Facebook uh, a lovely from Cheltenham Uh, William Foxbit, he's a brilliant international Olympic eventing rider and medal winner, very famous, one of the most famous riders in the world from Britain. And his wife is very much involved in the racing world. And she posted a surrogate. I would say, and it was a lovely horse, and I had written under it, the horse has lovely movements. I would love to train this horse because she had a, a short uh, video clip And I could see the horse, and this horse was swinging. I think many horses on the racetrack, they just trot like, yeah, like <laughs> boop, 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 boop. and these horses to train, to start to swing more, to use mm. more the back, to start more swinging over the back, to become a proper back mover. That's a real challenge for them. And therefore, I am looking very much to the potential of swinging. This horse was a lovely back mover and i look to a back mover and i look very careful into the horse's eyes i look very careful is this a horse with looking very much having the flight instinct or is it more a horse which is trainable because the horse looks quite relaxed is it a mm -hmm. horse which when you handle it properly will be a relaxed horse, a horse which will give you the feeling of cooperation because this makes life much more easy when you have mm -hmm. a horse which wants to do the job and is not fighting against you. Mm -hmm. Cooperation is a very high skill, a very important skill to train horses and humans as well, the cooperation. So this is what I'm looking for. And I look very careful to the body language of the horse. How is he looking around like this? Always a little bit afraid? Or is it a horse which is mentally and physically really relaxed and is doing uh, yeah, th this in a nice way, though relaxed and This is for me important. Therefore, I look very carefully into the eyes of the horse. I look to the ears of the horse. I look how is the skin? Is the horse wet or is the horse relaxed? Though, mm. And how is the horse in walk? Is it in walk like this or with long steps in the walk? This is something I'm looking for. And um, when the horse gives me the feeling 
okay, I'm trainable, then I think that's the horse which I use. It's a little bit of feeling, uh, mm -hmm. a thing for the feeling. Then we have some criteria. I can explain, but at the end of the day, it's a little bit the, that I say, okay, my feeling is this horse could be a nice dressage horse in the future. Beautiful. Or Eventer. <laughs> Maybe Eventer of more, mm -hmm. right? Because they are fast cross country. They love to run. They love mm -hmm. to jump. They are brave and they are fast at the end of the day. Thank you so much, Christoph, for your time today. It was such a pleasure. If people want to learn more about you or reach out for maybe some of your clinics, where can they find you? Although I can be fine, but I have a homepage. www.christoph-hess.com and then dash H-E-S-S dot info. And I have a homepage. And whenever you like, you can ask and I can give you my phone number if you like, because I'm easy to get via WhatsApp as an example. And I'm in Facebook as well. Messenger is possible. And my phone number is plus 49 for Germany. And then 170 and then 85193223, which is my mobile. And I'm, I think I'm quite easy to get. And you can send me or someone else can send me a voice message or a text a chat and yeah whatsapp works very well and i use it a lot or send an email and i have an email address ch at christoph dash has dot info thank you That's so it. much christoph i appreciate it so much today we'll make sure to have all those links in our show notes and thank you again for your time it's such a pleasure thank you very much enjoy the day and please stay healthy yeah, and same to you <laughs> i hope we will have a lot of competitions this year we're back to one of my favorite segments. I was so excited to get back to. It's our Retired Racehorse Project Spotlight Rider. And today we have Megan McNamara, and she's one of the newest adult amateur trainers who will be participating this year with her very uniquely colored horse. And welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. We're excited to have you. Oh my gosh. I love talking to all the competitors who come on for the makeover because it's just a chance to tell your story and talk about your horse and gives us someone to look for and cheer on at the show. But before we jump into that, why don't you tell us about where you're located and a little snapshot history of how you got involved with thoroughbreds? Yeah. So I'm currently living in Austin, Texas. So um, originally from Southern California. So I got introduced to thoroughbred racing around the Southern California circuit, Del Mar, Hollywood, when it was and Santa Anita. And so I was so lucky to grow up around the track. My grandparents are really involved in it. They lightly bred horses and were owners and syndicates as well as, you know, with their own horses. And so I grew up going to the track with my grandparents morning donuts and coffee and watching workouts and watching their horses run. And I already had the horse bug and then you get involved in racing and then it just is, gets 10 times worse. And so there's no hope for me. I like became totally in love with racing and the thoroughbred from an early age and just was so lucky to be behind the scenes and grow up in it. So that's how I was introduced to racing. Amazing. So you've had thoroughbreds riding through your blood for generations now, and you were born to be in this. You were born to be in this competition. That's so exciting. And your horse, not only is she very uniquely colored, and we'll get into that, but she has like a heartfelt story as well. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Pied and True? Yes, Pied is really special to my family. And my grandparents obviously were into racing, and my grandpa died about 15 years ago now. And my grandma was like, okay, I'll get back into racing to keep his legacy alive because he's super into it. And she got back in into it lightly, Was owned, owned a couple horses in the syndicates. And about, obviously, Pied is eight now. So about eight years ago, seven years ago, she had the opportunity to, her trainer, Matt Chu, came to her and told and showed her Pied. And so she bought her as a yearling and named her. So Pied... Her mom is college judge and her dad's benchmark. And so obviously she has a beautiful, unique marking and her name is a pun on tried and true. My grandma named her. And so she actually 
my grandma actually never got to see her race. She passed away the year that Pride started as a three-year-old. And so she was the last horse my grandma purchased and was a part of. And the, like for my family, the legacy of both my grandparents in racing. And she did really well on the track. She is an absolute pistol, not out of the gate, slow out of the gate, around the far turn, miles behind everybody would be like, oh, time to go and just blast it to the finish line. And so she was just, so much fun to keep my grandma alive and the tradition of racing in the family. And even oh. better, we were able to, she was claimed from us for one race and then we're like, nope. And this was during the time that the San, San Anita was having, the, there were a lot of injuries and such. So we were able to retire her sound and just really happy to have her still. Oh my gosh, what an amazing horse. And like, we have her photo in our, our show notes. If you have a chance, you should take a look, but she has multicolor. She's a very rare coloring. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so she has a somatic mutation kind of encompassing her left shoulder. Totally random, just a genetic mutation. And she's just as fiery as her coloring and as unique as her marking. We like to say it's representative mm-hmm. of her multiple personalities. and But she's very unique. And the coloring really stands out because it's bright white against her red coat. Oh my gosh. I love it. She'll be easy to spot the makeover for sure. And she's a horse with (laughs) just an incredible story. She obviously means so much to you and your family. And it's going to be amazing to see her kind of take on that legacy of your grandparents while you're competing. What are you hoping to compete in at the makeover? Yeah. So I am hoping to compete in ranch work and freestyle. She is so sharp and so probably one of the smartest horses I've ever been around and she's really excelling. We're working right now with a reigning trainer and she's just picking everything up so quickly. My roots are kind of more in the Western world. And so Mm -hmm. it's been fun to see this horse just take to everything and hopefully we'll be introducing her to cows soon. So I'm really excited to see how she does. She she really like latches on to different people and dogs. I think she'll really excel at that. Obviously, with the freestyle, hoping to do some Liberty stuff because she is really smart. And I'm so excited to see what she kind of tells us that she likes to do, too, for the freestyle. Like, we're still in that phase, listening to her and letting her tell us what she'd like to do. Unfortunately, uh, about seven months ago, she had a colic episode, Mm. uh, which she ended up needing to undergo surgery. And uh, it ended up being a necrosplenic, so her colon flipped, and I've been told that's the best case scenario because nothing was, no intestines were affected or anything like that, but going through that surgery with her and the recovery before getting her into any sort of work really showed me what a fighter she was, not only her racing style where she just kind of decides to all of a sudden, no, I'm going to win this race, but also just her recovery and her colic. Mm-hmm. She was so bright and so such a good patient and such a fighter that going into the ranch work discipline and the freestyle, I I really think that she's going to just shine because when she gets into something and she knows she has to focus on something, whatever it has been, she just her attitude totally excels. I love it. And I'm a Nair person. So I'm I'm always supportive of a great (laughs) Nair. And she probably knows that she's got some big names to represent at the makeover this year. So that's always exciting. She she demands attention. She knows she's, you you hear about these horses. Oh, they know they're special, but yeah, she, she demands attention. And and not that she doesn't get it already because I'm a helicopter horse mom, but this one. <laughs> Aren't we all, she, though? Aren't she, we all? She doesn't go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Um, if people want to follow yeah. your journey between you and Pied, where can they follow you? Yeah. So we have an Instagram. It's at Pied and True, and it's P-I-E-D-N-T-R-U-E. And so it's just her race name and post pretty frequently there and try to keep it up and so yeah, you can follow us along there. Awesome. Well, we're so excited to see you at the mega makeover and best of luck on your um, journey. Thank you so much. It's time for our a weekly visit with Leander Cooper from New Vocations Racehorse Adoption. Hello, Leander. Thank you for joining us. Hello. 
Happy to be here. Fantastic. Now, I know the weather is changing for you guys. It started to get a little warm, and then you experienced some snow. How are all of your horses handling the weather changes? They're handling it like champions. There are definitely some noticeable changes around the barn, and especially the moment they think that they can shed their winter coats off, all of a sudden we get some snow. It just, you never know what to expect. So fortunately, these horses are so adaptable and X-Races racehorses really have a leg up in a lot of ways because they're, many of them are used to traveling and just adapting. And we're, we're lucky that a lot of them can take it in stride. But there are also some things that you would expect, especially of young horses who are feeling a little frisky in the cold or just trying to adapt, but overall they're handling it really well. So I did the thing where I'd put all the blankets away, everything was up and it's time for spring. And then lo and behold, I'm pulling all the blankets down again. How do you guys handle that new vocations? Cause you have so many horses. So a lot of our blankets come from donations. We end up buying a ton every year because we have a lot of rascally horses who think that blankets are toys and not mm-hmm. outfit. So we go through a lot of different ones, but we have a pretty good system for sorting out different weights and different sizes. Our horses generally are between a 75 and an 81 for blanket sizes, but we'll always keep a few of each size around because we'll also have horses who are on the whole spectrum of the coat length when they come in. <laughs> and especially this time of year where it's all over the place, So we have a a large shed and a very organized blanket system now because that's how you have to function, especially in these in-between times where we always have some clean ones that are ready to go. We always have some in the repair and dirty pile. And then we have some hanging ones in our barns for those that just have a harder time adapting or need a little extra help. Yeah. Yeah. They're all, and they are very clear telling you what they need, aren't they? I got to tell you, thank you so much for the, I talked to you about, I had a horse, have a horse that is not liking being shed out. And if one off the track thoroughbred who loves being groomed, he like leans into the shedding blade, like do it harder. And then I have one that don't <laughs> touch me and it hurts. And you recommended the tiger tongue. Yeah. And I was like, what is yeah. a tiger tongue? And I Amazoned it to my house. Oh my God. It's the greatest off-the-track thoroughbred brush ever. So just wanted to remind everybody, this is the time. Tiger Tongue, explain what it is. I think I did a pretty poor job explaining it the first time. So let's hope that I can do it a little better this time. (laughs) It is a sort of rectangular shaped like floof ball of fiber. So I think that's nice. Like I said, I did pretty terrible explaining it the first time. It can't get worse. But it's like a almost like a hard plasticky fibers that are interwoven. And so it's this little handheld piece that just traps the dirt. So it's not a solid object. It's, you could squish it like a sponge, but it's more constructed than that. Imagine a bath sponge, but just with these like little woven interwoven fibers of like plasticky material so when you're grooming for the process by which we transfer the dirt from the horses to ourselves Uh (laughs) because it's not only soft and malleable but then also it traps that dirt it does a really good job of getting the oil down getting the stuck hair but it's just really good in between for being substantial and doing a really good job of getting the dirt and getting the hair, but also not agitating those more sensitive horses who don't really want to be touched that much. Yeah. It's like a, it's like, it looks like a bath sponge, but it's not, it's not a sponge. It's like, you can see through it and it's really cool. So anyway, if, for those who needed that hot tip again, who maybe didn't hear the last time we talked about it, the tiger's tongue and uh, don't Google that. Just put it in Amazon. Uh, do yourself. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk a little bit today about the horse of the episode, which is clarion call. Tell us about clarion call. Besides the fact that he's a 15 hand 2018 Bay gelding. Clarion call is a, how they call the small candy bars, fun size. Yeah. So he's the fun size off the track thoroughbred. So he's, yeah, he's a little guy. He's, but he's a little athlete. And I'll just kick it off by saying you would not believe the canter on this horse. ridiculous. <laughs> we could just work back from there. But the, the canter is truly takes your breath away because you just don't expect it. But he's a lovely mover. This is a horse who retired with 
no starts, no known injuries, just wasn't feeling the racetrack lifestyle and had donors who were cognizant of that, listened to him, sent him to us. And he's really flourished. So he is a little, he's a little immature, both mentally and physically. He is a jokester. He would be the mm-hmm. class clown. And he needs somebody who has the confidence that can match his own and create that partnership because he can be a little sassy. But he's really made a lot of strides. Even in the time that he's been with us, he's shown a lot of maturity. And I've been very impressed with his progress. And he was a little more stubborn when we first started to do training, especially just in the idea of being working with you and being on the bit and not just taking it wherever he wanted to. And now he has just shown that steady progress, which is really all that we can hope for with the young guys. We don't expect perfection out of them, just that steady progress and showing that good mindset. And he really shows that he's just a smaller version. But what's neat about him is that he is one of the horses where he should be as far as we know, physically capable for doing that high level sport, it's just going to take time. And of course, giving him the time to mature physically and mentally, but because he's a little smaller and we understand he's not going to be for everyone. He's at our thousand dollar adoption fee price range, which if anybody's familiar, we generally have them in different categories based off of their physical abilities. But for something like being 15 hands, we might knock the adoption fee down a little bit because we know it might be a little bit harder to find him a home. But if you are a little, um, vertically challenged, we'll say, and um, this is the right size for you, <laughs> then yeah. it's a bargain. It's truly a bargain. And he's just such a neat horse. Anybody who hasn't seen his profile, I would definitely encourage you to look at it because he's, we have actually had to update his pictures because he's already changed so much physically. And especially as he sheds out, I'm sure we'll have more. But just the video, we keep trying to put new videos up as he continues to improve, but he's really wowed me. He's a really neat horse and he, he loves being loved on. You just couldn't, you couldn't ask for a better package. It's just a small one. Yes. He is very cute. 15 hands and he has some really nice gates girl. Really nice. So everybody go check him out. His, his name actually his bar. It's a boy and his name is Clarice. Clarice, yep, but also we call him Clarinet and Claire Bear. There, there are many options here. All right, the world is your oyster. It's true. His name is Clarion Call, and you can find him at horseadoption.com. He's in the Kentucky uh, branch of New Vocations. And as always, Leander, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. What a fun and busy show, Joy. Thank you so much. You can find our show notes and links to today's guest on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. Like us on Facebook, search for Retired Race Horse Radio. We're on Twitter at Horse Radio, or at least somebody in the company is. It's not Joy, right? Uh, we also I have a Facebook page. You can search for me, Flavor Farms, Jamie Jennings, certified Monty Roberts instructor. Email me at jamie at horseradionetwork.com. Joy's all over the place. Where are you at, girl? Uh, you can email me at joy at horseradionetwork.com or find me on Instagram at the foodie equestrian. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Kentucky performance products and cash company. We could not do this without you. And nope. don't forget to check out all the other shows on the horse radio network at horseradionetwork.com. Remember to set your goals high and learn to love from every ride and spay, neuter and geld. Bye guys. Bye.